have two readings today, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, and we'll be using the ESV translation. Our Old Testament reading today is from Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, oh Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over the nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down to destroy and overthrow, and to build and to plant. And our New Testament reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. When they were released, they were sent to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who has made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouths of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the prophets plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers who were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, among the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word in all boldness, with your stretched out hand to heal, and the signs and wonders are performed through your name of the Holy Servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, you are sovereign. You command, and your will is done. Father, we understand your sovereignty as you explain to us throughout Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. But sometimes, Father, we ask for your patience while we wait for your sovereign will to be confirmed. We especially think of the Pastor Search Committee as in your sovereignty we wait patiently for the person of your choice to come to, to this church, to, again, as has been said earlier, to begin the second 25 years of this church as it ministers in South County. And Father, we pray that you would continue to receive our worship this day. Worship you in the song, worship you in the exposition of your word, and worship you with the application of your word. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. This morning we're continuing as we look at the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. And I've already decided that the next church I do in my work with Interim Pastor Ministries I'm just going to do a whole series on John chapter 3 and just get in there because there's so much here I never really realized it. And this section has a lot going in it. John chapter 3 beginning at verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Enon near Salem because there was plenty of water, and people were constantly coming to be baptized. 
Now, this is before John was put in prison. And an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. Or as the way King James says, which I like better, he must increase, I must decrease. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. To him God gives the Spirit without limit. The Spirit loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. May God bless the reading of his holy and errant word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you from this vignette of what was going on in the life of John the Baptist. We have his words, and we ask now that you would speak to us through them. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I had already uh, studied this passage and decided which direction I would go with it. And then uh, in my drive back and forth to the church, I'll listen to some, uh, some sermons. And I found one by one of my favorite preachers, Richard Phillips, who's a great preacher and pastor and author down at Second Presbyterian in Greenville, South Carolina. I recommend the website to you if you want some good sermons. And uh, I listened to what he did. He went a different direction than I did because it was part of a series. But I loved his title, and I'm going to borrow it. Uh, I won't ask him, but I will give him credit. He put it in the public domain. How to be, I think it was, how to be a profitable servant. How to be an effective servant. Because he was applying that to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist encountered something in his ministry that could have derailed it. But instead, he demonstrated his effectiveness. And I thought that was pretty good. But where I'm going with this, as you see in the title, is where John went with it, and that is the sovereignty of Christ. But let's begin. After this, Jesus and the disciples went unto the Judean countryside. John is spending a lot of time on geography, you know, This is the first miracle. They were in Galilee. They were in Judea. It's a very historical book. John lived this. He was probably a teenager when he became a disciple of Jesus, and he had that poignant memory. Can you remember, for example, where you were when the uh, buildings were attacked in New York on 9-11? Do you remember? I was in Salisbury, North Carolina, and I was doing some work in my yard. 
And I remember looking up and realizing that there was no commercial air traffic in the air. It had been grounded nationwide because they had no idea how far this plan and conspiracy went. And I thought to myself, this is the only time in my lifetime or my children's lifetime or my father's lifetime that there's no commercial air traffic flying over the United States of America. I remember where I was and what I was doing and what I thought. Well, this is what's happening with John, the apostle, who's writing this. He was there. He was an apostle, excuse me, a disciple of John the Baptist. And then when Jesus came and John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John pivoted and started following Jesus. So he thinks the world of John the Baptist, and he wants to say, give him full credit as the forerunner and the herald of Jesus Christ. But he wants to do what John the Baptist did and make sure people understand that John the Baptist is not the Messiah, as great as he is, but Jesus is. So you have this interplay in the first three chapters between Jesus and John. And well, he should. In fact, Jesus said in uh, Matthew eleven twelve, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So any allegiance and respect for John the Baptist was well-founded. Now, of course, Jesus and John were cousins. That's right. John the Baptist was about six months older. And when Mary became pregnant through the uh, annunciation of the angel, she immediately, it says, went up into the hill country to visit with her cousin Elizabeth because now they were both pregnant. And when she came in the door, John the Baptist, in the womb, six months, leaped with joy, is what the Scripture says. That was their introduction. They knew each other. And John the Baptist said, I knew Jesus. He's my cousin. But I didn't know what he was until the God said, the one on whom the Holy Spirit descends is the Messiah. And John saw that and he said, that's him. And then John's whole world got reoriented because he said, this person is the Messiah and he's more than that. We'll come to that. We'll come to that. So they spent uh, in the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them. Notice Jesus is always spending time with his disciples. Their job will lead uh, to lead a church of several thousand in Acts 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and the four on after the Holy Spirit was poured out. So they need to be trained. took about three years. That's about how long it takes to get a master of divinity in today's uh, seminaries. And he spent three years with them. It says he spent some time with them. That should be the key responsibility of any leader. It should be the key responsibility of your next pastor is to spend some time with your leaders, preparing them, training them, getting to know them, and leading them. Now, John also was baptizing at Anan near Salem because there's plenty of water. 
and people were constantly coming. Well, what do you need to do baptisms? Water and people. Okay. So they were kind of going where the people were. It was, it was convenient to Jerusalem, and they were coming out there. This was a baptism of repentance. Uh, the Jews really didn't get baptized uh, because they were circumcised. <clears throat> Gentiles got baptized. It was a washing of uh, a repentance and washing away of sin. And so the fact that these Jews were getting baptized was kind of odd. Now, John the Baptist was the son of a uh, priest, so he had the right to do this, but Jesus wasn't. So they got into this question about purification, which is washing away sin. You know, it's a symbol. And uh, out of that comes this. Uh, An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And the disciples came to John and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, let's talk about ceremonial washing. They, They didn't bring it up. Here's what's on their mind. That man. Well, I thought he was the son of God, the savior of the world, the anointed one, the Messiah. To him, he is that man. He is another baptizer who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about. You actually publicly uh, uh, pumped him up, puffed him up. He owes you a little bit of loyalty, and now he's down the street competing. Well, he's baptizing, and that's not bad enough. Everybody's going to him instead of you. Now, this can be a tough situation. It's called uh, jealousy and envy, Uh, and it's on display here. You know, that man, he owes you, he's competing, and what's worse, he's winning. Uh, Jealousy is um, fear of losing something that you have. Envy is wanting something that you don't have. So what's going on here? Both. They're jealous about losing their converts, and they're envious about the ones that are going to Jesus. Now, jealousy is not always bad. You know, you should be jealous and want to keep things that are yours. You know, I'm jealous of my wife if someone pays her improper attention. Yes. Isn't that proper? Yeah, that's proper. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> that's godly. <clears throat> so there's good jealousy. But there's bad jealousy because what makes a difference when it ain't yours? How do you know it's not yours? Because in the sovereignty and providence of God, it's going somewhere else. We'll come back and put all that together. Now, uh, in fact, uh, I was reading a story. I might have got got this uh, in 19th century uh, London. Um, there was a great preacher there. His name was Charles Spurgeon. I wrote this down. And he might be the greatest preacher that uh, ever lived. You can read his sermons today, the whole hundreds of them. You can get them online, and they're just awe-inspiring. I use um, the introduction sometimes in my devotions because that's about all I can handle. Uh, he would preach, and they had uh, 
scribes that would take down his sermon. They did a lot that a lot back then because they didn't have recording, and the newspapers actually had people that would sit in Parliament and take down the speeches, and then they would publish them. And so on Monday morning, Spurgeon would uh, get those written sermons, and he would edit them, and then they'd be printed that week and distributed by the penny press, a penny for a sermon. And there was another preacher in that town. His name was Parker, and he was a great preacher also, leading a great church. But Spurgeon was greater. Spurgeon's preaching was just unworldly. And so Parker would watch people in their on foot and in their carriages go by his church in London and down to Southwark, an elephant and whatever it is down there, and go to Spurgeon's church. In fact, Spurgeon's church got so crowded that they put a fence around it, and the members got a printed ticket. And you know what happened? The members of that church that paid for that building and everything, they would get there and see the crowds lined up. And they would walk up and give someone their ticket because they wanted them to hear the word of God. This made Parker rather jealous, and it got worse and worse and worse. And he finally said, there's only one thing I can do in this situation. That's start spraying, praying for Charles Spurgeon to be successful because I can't be jealous if I'm asking for God to bless him. And so he started praying for Spurgeon that God would bless him, and God blessed him. And you know what happened? They couldn't hold all the people in Spurgeon's tabernacle, so they started coming to Parker's church. And his church maxed out. You got to deal with jealousy. You got to deal with envy. And here, John the Baptist, it comes right at him. And so this is what he says. First, you see in the sermon outline sovereignty and then submission. You can't receive only what God is giving you from heaven. God is in charge. Now, that doesn't mean that ambition is wrong and Christians are supposed to be complacent. I mean, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not passivity. That's ambition. The whole world... You shall, be, be, uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's activity. That's ambition. We have a vision in this church. We've had it for 25 years to reach South County. And that's why they bought 20, 22 acres and built a 440-seat sanctuary so we can grow big enough to have the staff and the facility and the programming to minister to people in this county and help make a difference. And the search team has actually turned down a couple of good candidates because the profile was, has the background, the experience, and the demonstrated ability to help grow a church so that we can reach this county. That's ambition, and it comes from vision. It comes from godly vision. But behind that is saying, we can build all the buildings we want. You can get the best preacher possible. And unless God gives the increase, it will make no difference. Because you can't have anything, it's John the Baptist, only what God has given you. And so there better be behind that a passion for souls and a crying out to God. Will you give us? 
harvested fruit from South County? Will you move in people's hearts so that they will be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ and confess their sins and be born again, regenerated, and their lives will be changed and their families and the county and it goes on and on and on. But behind that has to be a recognition that God is in charge and that's where John the Baptist starts is with submission. And then he goes on to say, you yourselves can testify. I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm just sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. They had a, a deal back then. They had a Hebrew word for it. The, the bridegroom's friend or a brother or a friend that was selected was like a realtor. They helped find the bride. They helped plan the wedding and all the banquet and everything. They actually helped negotiate the uh, bride price and the dowry. And they were in charge of protecting the bride. Making, they even took a room next to the, uh, 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 the bridal suite to make sure that everything was in order. And then when the bride came... Who stood up there and got all the attention? It was the bride and the groom. Well, who's the, who, who's the friend? Who's the shabon? Well, he's that guy back in the corner there. His job is done. And he says, that's my job. And he listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice, probably because all oh, most of the work's over. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must increase, and I must decrease. You see that? The one who comes from above is above all. You know, now we're in the satisfaction. Now we're in the service. What does the clock say? The one who's from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who's from the earth speaks is from the earth. The one who's from heaven speaks is from heaven. See, John the Baptist said, this is what I say. I can baptize you in water, but I can't give you the Holy Spirit. I can proclaim you must be born again, but I can't regenerate you. I am from the earth And I can only do the symbol of water baptism. Jesus is the Lord, and he can give forgiveness of sin and new birth and the washing and the remission of sin and the Holy Spirit. That's what John the Baptist is saying. Let's be clear. You know, there there are no priestly words and there's no priestly baptism that can give new life. For a thousand years, that's what the church believed, and the leaders of the church of Jesus Christ brought new life to people by preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus, the Word of God. If they had said that I have authority that by baptizing you, I can make you be born again and have new life as a baby or an adult, that no one in the church said that for a thousand years, and if they did, no one would have believed them. 
And all of a sudden, people start claiming in, in, in some churches and then some uh, heretical groups, we have the power and authority that by baptizing you, we can give you new life. John the Baptist said, I'm from the earth. All I can deal in is water. But Jesus is the one who gives new life. He proclaims it, you know, uh, very clearly here, and he wants it understood. Now, these uh, disciples of John the Baptist are standing there, and their whole world just crumbled in front of them. They tied their wagon to John's star, and he was ascendant. He was the greatest human being born of woman. He lived the life. He walked the walk, even as he talked the talk. And he didn't give up his ministry just because Jesus was on the scene. He kept baptizing for repentance and preparing the way. He kept training disciples, and he kept preaching the word of God. And when King Herod married his brother's wife, John the Baptist said, as a violation of the word of God, that is sin. And he ended up in prison. It says right up there, this all happened before Jesus, before John was put in prison because he didn't keep his mouth shut. He said, this is wrong. That's not passivity, is it? That's aggression. And then uh, Herod caved in to a rash promise and took his head off. And they came and took his body and buried it. That's where John was going. And he's saying to his disciples, he must increase, I must decrease. And these disciples are thinking, what about us? We, we left everything to follow you. And now you're telling us that this is a declining ministry. Why would you do that? Don't you have any ambition? <laughs> And John the Baptist said, let me explain to you how this works. This is God's will because God has a plan and a purpose. And Paul told his followers, he said, look at it this way. All things God causes to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. See, God has a purpose and he's going to work that purpose out. And for his people who love him, and their, his, his purpose is their purpose, everything in creation, all the thing, cosmic universe, is working for their good. Instead of the world being against us, now the world is for us. Because the hand that turns the lever and spins the wheel is now on the side of his people. Does that mean that all things are good? No. But does it mean that everything turns to good? Yes. Yes. Now, let me be quick to hide. I am not a health and wealth prosperity preacher because that ain't in the Bible. That's a lie and heresy and the dumbest thing you can come up with because all you got to do is read what happened to people in the Bible and look at church history. Read Hebrews 11. People are being sawn in half. The what? 
God's purpose is to bring glory to himself, not you. And if it means being wealthy, you will be wealthy. If it means being poor, you will be poor. If it fulfills his purpose. If it means you're going to be healthy, you'll be healthy. If it means you're going to have disease, you'll have disease. God's purpose is not our prosperity. God's purpose is his glory. But if his purpose is our purpose, you can't lose. Because everything God uses to bring glory to himself. And so all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that's why it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, you ready for this? In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for your life. It doesn't mean passive. It doesn't mean work hard and achieve and fight evil. But it means ultimately we know who's in charge. And that's why on the front of your bulletin, I gave you this quote, which I thought was so fine. The risen and reigning King of kings and lords of lords rules over this world and over his mission with absolute sovereignty. Nothing is outside his sovereign will. If Jesus meets with resistance, he either allows it for his purposes or overcomes it for his purposes. But his purpose will be achieved. And that's what John the Baptist says. And he says, now look, let's go another step. I want you guys to understand that even my diminishment is worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. Now this is what he says, follow me. Verse 31, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus came from heaven. He's above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. See, John the Baptist saying, I'm testifying to what I've studied in God's word and what's been revealed to me. I preach from what I've seen in God's word. I studied Greek and Hebrew and theology and church history and church government and all this stuff so I can study it and try to bring it to you. But I had to study Greek and Hebrew. I had to study theology. This is a study. Jesus speaks about what he's seen and heard because he is from heaven and I am from earth. Who was that governor of Texas that was in the car when John Kennedy was shot and assassinated? Connolly? So I'm saying, I know about the assassination of John Kennedy in Texas. I've read about it. I've seen video. And John Connolly, who has passed away, would step in to say, I was there. I was in the car. And I would step back and say, then you speak. Tell us what you saw. Tell us what you heard. Because that's far superior to what I have studied and read and watched. And here's an interesting thing. When Jesus came and was baptizing and John the Baptist baptized him, they spent some time together and they chatted. Because John the Baptist said, cousin, I know who you are. But I didn't know what you are. 
How does this work? And Jesus said to John the Baptist the same thing he said to Nicodemus. If you look over at the beginning of uh, chapter 1 and verse 12. I have spoken to you of earthly things you do not believe. How then will you believe I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of God. The things that he's saying to Nicodemus, you can compare it later, is the same thing that John the Baptist is saying to his apostles. Jesus told Nicodemus, I came down from heaven, and I'm telling you the things that I have seen and heard. And John the Baptist is repeating those words. Jesus is the one who's seen and heard. Now look at verse 33. The man who's accepted it has certified that God is truthful. If we accept the words of Jesus, we are saying God is true. Because Jesus is speaking the words of God. Now, this is important because he's going to say, and if you reject Jesus, you're rejecting God, not just Jesus, because Jesus just isn't a man. He's the witness. See what it says. The one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. That's number one. Jesus speaks the words of God. So when we read them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and quoted by Paul and Peter, we are getting the actual words of God, which Jesus delivered from the throne. Number two, for to him God gives the Holy Spirit without limit. Uh, Paul told us in Ephesians 4, 7, but grace, the Holy Spirit, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Every born-again Christian has a measure of the Holy Spirit according to what God wants that person to do, his spiritual gifts and his leadership in the church and things like that. Each one has a measure. Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure, complete fulfilling of the Holy Spirit, without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Number one, he speaks the words of God. Number two, he has the Holy Spirit without limit. And number three, the Father out of love has given all authority in heaven and earth into Jesus Christ. And so John the Baptist is saying to his disciples, look, if this was another Spurgeon down the road preaching, I could understand your concern that everybody's leaving us and going to him. This is not that. This is the Son of God. He is worthy of all adulation and all witness and our loyalty no matter what because he comes from God. He speaks the word of God. He's filled with the Holy Spirit without limit, and God has given everything into his hands. Jesus is sovereign Lord. So my disciples, don't feel sad or deprived or jealous or envious because Jesus is being lifted up. He is worth it. That was his words to his disciples. He is worth it. And so that's how I got around to that original sermon title from my pastor friend. 
how to be an effective servant of God. Number one, God is in charge. Number two, accept that. Number three, take joy in it. And number four, that will release you from jealousy and envy and worry and doubt and anger to say God is in charge. Jesus is Lord. He is worth it. And it's so strong that he says, therefore, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For the wrath of God remains on him. See, we're all under the wrath of God because of our sin. But Jesus can remove that wrath and replace it with acceptance into the family and kingdom of God. But to reject Jesus is to reject the payment for our sin, and that wrath weighs on us, on our shoulders like a harness, and it remains. That is serious stuff. So when I say reach South County, what I'm talking about, people would hear about Jesus, honor Jesus, and our offering would be used to make the name of Jesus known that people would have the wrath of God removed from them, and they would know that all things are going to work together for good in their lives. Do you know what a transforming, joyous, liberating, enlightening message that is? To be planted here in the middle of South County and be able to share that with the people around us. And that's why we have a passion and an ambition and a jealousy to reach this county. Because we have such a message. There were a bunch of tourists evangelical Christians that were touring London. And there was a great uh, preacher there. His name was Parker, the one I mentioned to you earlier. And they wanted to hear him preach because he was a great preacher. And they went on Sunday morning. And afterwards they said, he has to be the greatest preacher living today. His words are like pearls. His pronouncements are like jewels. Uh, We were going to go hear Spurgeon tonight, but why bother? Let's go back tonight. And they said, no, we said we're going to hear both of them, so let's go tonight and hear Spurgeon. They came out after hearing Spurgeon, and they said, without doubt, Jesus must be the greatest Savior in the world. They heard Parker, the great preacher from Spurgeon. They heard about the great Jesus. Now, That's what John the Baptist is saying to his disciples and to us. Jesus is worth it. He is worth obeying. He is worth serving, no matter what our spot is. And so I tell people, you've heard me say it, do your job. Don't worry about other people's job. Find out what God wants you to do in your life and just do it with the joy of knowing that Jesus is worth it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the John the Baptist that could so easily have fallen into jealousy and envy. And yet with his eyes upon Jesus, he said, he's in charge. Let me do what my role is to love him and to serve him because he is Lord. Father, would you give us that grace in our lives? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.